So good to worship, um, so good to be here. And we're gonna start a brand new series here. It's called Upside Down, Upside Down. Now, if you go, if you have your Bible or your app or whatever you go to, go to the book of Acts chapter 17. Because in Acts chapter 17 is one of the most, it's, it's one of the most iconic, I call youth messages that I heard when I was a, youth, when I was a teenager. And it was about this story. And it was a challenge to us. And I believe it's a challenge to us today still. But it's Acts chapter 17 and verse 4. First of all, Paul had been going around, Paul and Silas, and they came into this area and they were, they were preaching the gospel. They would go into the synagogues and they preached for three weeks in a row. They'd preached the gospel and it kind of created a stir. And, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But some of the Jews were jealous and, they, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, I guess they had wicked men of the rabble back then, whatever those people are. They grabbed those guys and said, come on. And so they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And so I heard that message uh, as a teenager all the time and pre preached the message probably uh, several times too that we want to be the kind of people that turn the world upside down. How many of you guys want to be the kind of people that turn the world upside down? That's what was happening here. That they, and we didn't even know as a teenager, we didn't even know what that meant, but we wanted to do it because it was about turning the world upside down. Let's go do it. And so we'd get all fired up about it. And these guys actually did that or it was rumored to do that. Now I want to, I want to be clear about this in the climate. And I know I'm kind of walking on thin ice sometimes when I say things like that in the climate that we're in, but I want you to be, be clear about this. They didn't turn the world upside down through a political system. One person gets it. All right. Just making sure. They didn't do it through a church program. Nothing wrong with the church program. They didn't do it through a New Year's resolution. They did it by being carriers of the presence of God. They did it by being carriers of the kingdom. And when we think we're gonna turn the world upside down by any other means, but by being carriers of the kingdom of God and carriers of the presence of God, we're off track. And so they, did, they turned the world upside down. They did it everywhere that they went because they were carriers of the kingdom. They did it at church, Solomon's portico. Remember, some people wouldn't even join them. And they did it on their way to church. Remember Peter, Acts chapter three, you know, I don't have silver and gold, but such as I have, I give to you. They did it everywhere that they went. They did it in open streets. They did it everywhere, their homes, because they were carriers of the kingdom of God. Everywhere, good news. Now, I've said it before, but I'm gonna say it again. How many of you guys know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, Right? There's no asterisk that says, depending upon who's in the White House. There's no asterisk that says, depending on how much money you have in your bank account, depending on what kind of year you had last year, depending on what your relationship looks like right now. It just simply says that the gates of hell will not prevail. And that's the way it's been throughout all of history, that every time things try to rise and fall against the church and against the movement of God, but yet the kingdom of God prevails every single time. And so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter what happens. What I know is the Bible is always true. And you can't, you can't legislate the kingdom of God into hearts. But you can love the kingdom of God into hearts. I think we could do more damage to the kingdom of darkness. Let's just bring it locally. I believe we could do more damage to the kingdom of darkness in our area if we would focus on being carriers of the kingdom of God. 
walking around this place. We could do more advancement to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of heaven, if we would focus on being carriers of the presence of God everywhere that we went. That's how they turned the world upside down. But that's unconventional. That's upside down. That's upside down thinking in a world today that says you gotta leverage power, you gotta do all these things to try to turn the world upside down. Uh, uh, Upside down thinking says that it can be done a totally different way because the kingdom of God is upside down or we could say right side up. The kingdom of God is right side up. And Jesus was always preaching messages that seemed upside down. One of those famous sermons in all of history is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, starting in Matthew chapter 5. Starts with these beatitudes. You can also find it in Luke chapter 6 where he comes down the mountain and he he could preach this kind of a recap on the Sermon on the Plains and he recaps it and he has, uh, instead of eight beatitudes, he has four of the beatitudes and then four woes in Luke chapter 6. But it's one of the most famous passages of Scripture And it was a big deal. Like when Jesus went up on the mountain and then he came back down, crowds were coming around. And and sometimes crowds would come around Jesus of 5,000 people. Actually, there were 5,000 men. They were counting the men and then plus women and children on top of that. How many of you guys know you could have a crowd of, of, you know, 20,000, 25,000, 30,000 people gathered to hear Jesus? Like imagine the Sprint Center completely full, just outdoors, right? Now, We can imagine that because we're used to seeing big crowds, but in those days you have to remember that some of the the villages and towns that we think of uh, in the Bible, they were very small. I mean, Nazareth could have been a thousand people, could have been a hundred people, some people say maybe a couple hundred people. In Nazareth, think about Bethlehem was just, you know, a small village. So how many villages and towns would it take to make up a crowd of 20,000 people? I mean, you have to imagine that whole cities, whole villages left and came out to hear Jesus. And some people, I mean, these people were not rich, most of them. They would maybe take one long, long trip in their lifetime to go to Jerusalem to maybe, uh, you know, offer an offering or something. And, and they would save up their whole life to do that. So these people were traveling great distances, many of them coming to form a huge crowd. What Jesus was doing was, was, un, it was unmatched. It was unbelievable. And yet he's preaching a message that was totally unconventional and counterintuitive. And he begins, he starts off this message, and here's what he began to teach. He began to teach about this word called blessed. Now, the translators, uh, when they translated this, this was a Greek word. It wasn't an original, uh, it wasn't a Christian word. It was a Greek word. And so the translators had to figure out how to translate this. And they, they chose this word uh, because it was the word makario. And it was, uh, here's what it literally meant for the Greeks. It meant the ecstasy of the gods. And more specifically, it, it would say this, and I'll put it up there just so you can see it. The highest stage of happiness and well-being such as the gods enjoy. So Jesus starts off and he says, blessed. He's like, here's what's going to happen to you. You are going to experience, and he's trying to connect this idea. So this is a very strong word. He says, this is the highest stage of happiness and well-being such as the gods enjoy. So he's saying this is the happiness that can happen in God. And he starts, so he says, blessed. And they were kind of like, you know, many of them may have been wondering, okay, what's coming next? And here Jesus begins to say that there are ways to see this blessing. There are ways to see the kingdom of God. There are ways to enter the kingdom of God. And he begins to lay it out almost like a portal into blessing, almost a portal into the kingdom of God. Now, 
I've t- shared this story before, but I, I saw it in a new light this, uh, this week as I was studying for this. How many of you guys have a dog? Anybody have a dog? Okay. Uh, I have multiple kids, so I have more than one dog. How many you guys know that's the way that it works? How many of you guys have more than one dog? Usually because you have more than one child. Well, I have lots of kids, and so I have three dogs, okay? That's kind of how it works. And so I have these three dogs, and we, you know, we live out in the country, and so we needed to keep them from roaming around, and so we got one of those invisible fence things, and you bury it in the ground and put a collar on the dog, and so it beeps before they get close to the, to the area where they could get a, a mild shock if they go any further to say, hey, don't go outside of this line. And so they get a warning. And so my, fir- two, my first two dogs, they, they were like, uh, okay, we're, we'll stay in. Okay, we got it. Okay, we get the system. They figured out where the line is. They're like, we're, we're done, you know? But I had this one dog that we got, which is a German short-haired pointer. And it looked like just, like it was gonna be like one of those hound dogs that just like sit at your fireplace. You know, I just wanted one of those. Like I'd be, you know, over there just sitting there and my, my hound dog, it's not a hound dog, okay? It is a dog that runs 24-7. That's what it is. We found this out later. And so we get this dog and find out this dog just wants to run. He does, he, we tried to train him on this invisible fence. He would not. He would just run and run and run and run. And finally, after many weeks of training him, we finally got the dog to stay in the in, invisible fence. And finally, he found his place on the farm. So he would roam around at night, and he would roam the perimeter. And he would just, and I could shine the flashlight out there at any time, and I could see our dog, Bo, just roaming around. I'm like, yeah, he gets it. He's got, he's got his job on the farm. He was happy. But then something happened. Out, uh, one day, we noticed that the running dog was missing. And we're like, what's going on? And the day after day, he would come back. He's got like a GPS in it built inside of him that you could plant him in Russia and he'd find his way back home. And so he, every time he'd come back, but we wanted to figure out how he was getting out because the other dogs weren't getting out. Everything was working. And so we'd watch him every morning and finally we discovered that he went back behind the shed and then he was gone. And it's happened a few times. It's like, oh, that's where he's getting out. So I went back there, discovered that some sort of debris or something had gone over the line, the invisible fence line there, so that it wasn't working in the way there in that one spot. It was like a five-foot area that it wasn't working. And this dog, since he roamed the perimeter, he figured out the spot. And so he figured out that this was a portal to the outside world. And so he would go to this portal to the outside world every time. So finally, I uncovered all the stuff. And still, the dog would go to the same spot. He would take the hit. I mean, he would take the shock to go out because he still, in his mind, thinks this is the one way. And he could go out anywhere and have the same experience. But he kept going to this one spot. And I couldn't stop him from doing it. So finally, I built a five-foot section of fence just over that one area, just a five-foot section of fence to, to over that one area. And sure enough, he shows up to it and he stopped getting out. <laughs> he thought, the portal has been closed to my outside world. I don't know if this dog is the stupidest dog in the world or the smartest dog in the world, but he's one of them. I don't know which one. And so, so eventually he ended up getting out later on and after several weeks he got tired of it. But for the longest time, that five-foot fence, that little section kept him in. And I used to think of that, that story and I'd think of, of like us and I'd think about our freedom. Like how, and, and I would ask this question, like what little five foot fence is holding us back from the freedom we could explore anywhere? And I thought so many of us have this five foot fence that's holding us back. And, and while that is true, I began to think of it a different way as I listened to, as I was studying this week. And I thought, what if the dog was right? What if, what if there is just a small area to freedom? What if there is a, as Jesus put it, a narrow way? 
And that when the world is looking at all of these other ways and we could look at all these other ways to be blessed and to walk in blessing and to walk in freedom that looks wide open, what if the dog had it right? And what if there is one way that leads to life? In fact, Jesus said it later on in that sermon in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and the way that is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and there are those are few who find it. So what if in all of this, and we're trying to live life, and even, listen to me, in even life in Christ, we try to live this way, but what if there are narrower ways? And I don't mean narrower in the way that, that, that it's, it's worse. I mean narrow in the way that, that God says this is the way. And so when Jesus preaches this sermon in Matthew chapter five, and he lists off these ways to be blessed or these portals to blessing, these portals to see and to enter into the kingdom of God, it comes in some of the most unexpected ways. Because we think it's wide open, but, but what if there's a narrow way? What if, what if there's some things that are counterintuitive to the way we think? So I want you to watch this next video which lists these um, blessings, lists these beatitudes and I want you just to ponder for a moment, is this what you think about when you think about being blessed, the highest happiness that even the God, that the happiness of God, is this what you think about when you think about being blessed? Watch. You guys know that's kind of upside down, isn't it? I mean, when we think about being blessed and thinking about those things, especially the way that Jesus described it, and we want to say things like, you know, those people who are blessed are, are prosperous, not poor, are happy, not mourning, are full, not hungry, people who win and who are champions, not people who are persecuted. And Jesus flips it upside down, and it makes us wonder what he's talking about and makes us wonder what he's saying. And so I want to look at these and some of them may be surprising and some of them may be, you, you may just learn a little bit more about what Jesus was actually trying to communicate, I believe. We're going to look at these portals to see the kingdom of God, these portals to experience blessing. And we're going to look at the first one today and it's found in Matthew chapter five, verse two and three. It says, and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed, remember that word, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does this mean? Let me just start off and say this does not mean that if you are poor financially, that you're in. 
and you get to see the kingdom of God. It does not mean if you're poor financially that, that all of a sudden you're better off and you're going to see the kingdom of God. Although I can make a case. Now, before we go too far on that, I can make a case that I do think that those who have less, many times it is easier for them to experience the kingdom of God. And the reason I say that is because the more you have, the harder it is for you to trust God with it and to give it to God. Because no, the more you have, the more you worry about your stuff, generally. And that's why Jesus talked to the rich a lot. And he said, it's hard for you to enter the kingdom of God. It wasn't because they were rich. It wasn't because they had money. It's because money had become their identity. It's because money had become where they had placed their trust instead of God. And the more stuff you have, the harder it is for you to trust God with it. That's just kind of natural for any of us. And so I could make a case that, that the less you have, in some ways, the easier it is for you to see the kingdom. Because I've been in many places uh, where there's, there's poverty and poor people, and I've seen the kingdom of God just on their face. Because they, they, when, you, when you don't have anything, you got, all you can do is lean on God, right? And so I have seen that. But it's not saying that we should all become poor to see the kingdom of God. It's not saying we should have a poverty mentality. You guys know there's a difference between a poverty mentality and being poor. I've seen a lot of poor people who don't have a poverty mentality. A poverty mentality is a mentality of lack and fear that I'm not going to have enough. And I've seen a lot of people with a lot of stuff that still have a poverty mentality. You can, you can have everything that you need materially and still have a poverty mentality. And so it's not saying if you can get a poverty mentality and think if I can just have less and less and less and lack and lack and lack, then I'm going to be able to see the kingdom of God. That's not what it's saying here. That's not what it's talking about. Because when we ha it is saying that when we have more stuff, we be it's easier for us to become self-sufficient instead of God-reliant. So we have to be careful about that. We have to be careful about that. And being poor and having a poverty mentality are two different things. I mean, think about Matthew, the, who wrote the book of Matthew, right? He recorded all these things that we're reading. Matthew was a very rich man. He was a tax collector, and in those days, he kind of betrayed his, his own people, the Jews, to work with the Romans to collect all of these, uh, to, to collect taxes and all of this stuff, and he would skim off the top, and he would become very, very wealthy, in the, and he was hated by everyone else. And so he's rich externally, but Jesus saw through his heart and saw that he was poor, spiritually poor internally, and he invited him into the kingdom of God. And so it wasn't about what they had. It was about spiritual poverty. It was about spiritual things going on in their life. And so I'm not saying, and it's not saying become poor and then, you know, being poor is better. That's not what it's saying. And it's also not saying that those people who are to be pitied, like if you are to be pitied, you can see the kingdom of heaven. Because sometimes we think of it that way, like those people who are pitied and poor of spirit, that they're going to be able to see the kingdom of God. And that's not what it's talking about, you know, those who are being pitied. Uh, I told you guys uh, that a month or so ago, a couple months ago, um, I got sick with COVID, so I was down and, and just, I mean, just really struggling. And, and a lot of people are sending me texts and sending me messages and praying for me and sending me encouragement. And my mom was one of them. She's, you know, checking on, I'm 43 years old. She treats me like I'm 10, you know, she's still... How's your fever today? You know, all this type of stuff. And so she's texting me all this stuff. And, 
And so one day she's, you know, encouraging me and she sends me this verse. She says, here, I want to just send you this verse. And she just sent me the verse reference. And she said, hope this encourages you. And so I had to look it up because I don't have the Bible memorized. And so I looked it up and I started reading and it was uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17. I started to read the first part and it says, for I will restore health to you and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. And I was like, praise God, I need that right now because I am not healthy and I need to be healed. And then I kept reading the rest of the verse, and it said, because they have called you an outcast. It is in Zion for whom no one cares. I text back, I said, Mom, what kind of encouragement is this? My own mom, like you're saying nobody cares about me? And she was like, what are you talking about? I said, read the verse you're sending to me. She's like, well, I read the first part. I've been sending that to everybody. (laughs) Read the second part, Mom. And so I was like, I'm not, I just feel pitiful, and it's not, that's not what it's talking about. Like, find somebody who's to be pitied. They're going to say, no, it's not what it's talking about. What is it talking about? Let's get to it. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and here's why. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So it's not about poverty, it's not about pity, but it is about this word called propitiation. Now that's not a word that we're maybe familiar with, but it literally means atoning sacrifice. You think about in, it, and literally, it could mean the removal of wrath by the offering of gifts. So think about in the Old Testament, and you have the Ark of the Covenant, and you have these cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant. It's overlaid in gold and all this type of stuff. And then there would be blood that would be on the mercy seat. It was like a covering. It was saying that your sins can be washed away. Your sins can be covered by, ultimately by the blood of Jesus. And so the reason it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, it's talking to people who are spiritually bankrupt, People who have spiritual poverty. And, when, and here's why this is, you can be blessed. It's because there is good news for you. Blessed are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is yours. Here's why there's such a blessing in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Blessed are the poor in spirit because now you have access to the riches in Christ. Now you, where you were depleted spiritually and spiritually bankrupt, you can now be dependent upon the riches of Christ because that word uh, literally meant beggars who are dependent upon a provider, those uh, poor in spirit. And so it talk, it's talking about those who are blessed, uh, uh, who are poor in spirit are blessed because Jesus Christ can make you rich. Not monetarily, not with these externals, but he, you can experience all of the riches of the inheritance that is found in Jesus Christ. You have access. And listen, every single one of us, I think at a time like this, we need to realize that we have to come back in all of our mess. And this isn't just just for salvation, but this is for all of us right now, to realize we have to come back and recognize that we were once spiritually bankrupt. And I think it's so easy for us to forget that and to eventually, even spiritually, become spiritually reliant on our rituals, on our efforts, on our prayer closet time and how much time, on our Bible reading schedules and our church attendance and our whatever. Those things are all healthy things, but how many of you guys know that 
they're not exempt from us becoming self-reliant in spiritual rituals. We have to come back to the table and say, God, here's all my stuff. And I, I realize I'm not, I, now that I'm in Christ, okay, now that I'm in Christ, yes, I have access. I'm not, I'm not spiritually bankrupt. I'm not a beggar anymore. But I do have to recognize that there is a temptation, that even I'm, though I'm in Christ, to become self-reliant. And so we need to come back. I saw this video. I think it's very powerful. Let it impact you today. Let's watch. I've heard it. You've heard it. It's time for a new beginning. Time to start a fresh page or paint a new picture with our life. Sounds great in theory, but it can seem impossible. Life is messy. The lines have gotten blurred. Maybe we just don't know where to start. We look at the canvas of our lives and see mistake after mistake after mistake. It's overwhelming. When I look at my life with these messy lines and scribbles, it makes me think, is this as good as it gets? There's no eraser that can make this life make sense. But what if? What if there was someone that could make sense of our mess? They could take all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our missed opportunities, and make them into a masterpiece. And then I remember, there is Jesus. He gives us a new life. Every day is new. Every day is a blank canvas full of possibility and promise. He takes our canvases, our lives that have been filled up with shortcomings, secrets, tragedies, and embarrassments, and he helps them make sense. When I look at the canvas of my life and I see nothing but disorder and chaos, I have to remember this. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. And you know what? He wants to take my hand and bring peace to the canvas of my life. As we seek to make our mark, let us give God all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our hurts, and trust that he will turn our messy lives into a masterpiece, his masterpiece. I really believe that's for somebody today, okay? I really do believe that's for somebody. And we need to acknowledge, again, this message is not just for somebody who needs grace at salvation. And it, it certainly does apply that those who are spiritual bank, bankrupt get to see that there is access to God's riches. But this is a message for anyone who worships anything except for the one true God. And you can still be in Jesus and be tempted to start getting distracted by worshiping other things. We, ha we all have temptations to still worship things that we wouldn't call idols outright but become idols to us, anything that begins to elevate itself. We can worship different things in our life. We can worship money, we can worship sex, we can worship food, we can worship relationships, we can worship a future relationship, we can worship outcomes, we can worship circumstances, we can worship all of these things. Anything that begins to distract us from being able to fully give those things to God. And so we need to be real about that and, and acknowledge that before God. Like, is there anything that I have elevated 
where I don't really believe that God is going to be able to overcome this if this doesn't happen? Do I really believe that God can take the pieces of my life and put them back together? Do I really believe? Do I really believe I have access to the riches of God's grace? Do I really believe that even now that I've been saved and I've experienced the grace of God, that God will still forgive me of my sins? Because listen, sometimes even after you've been in Christ, you still struggle to receive forgiveness of sins. And some of us beat ourselves up and we carry shame and all of these things. Like the way that uh, Derwin Gray said it, he said, happy, blessed are those who let God pay off their sin debt. Oh, man, see, you can experience that blessing, that happiness of God when you receive the forgiveness that comes in Christ. Happy, blessed are those who let God pay off their sin debt. Such good news. But it's so much important than just like, uh, like the I, I'm debt-free Dave Ramsey scream. Okay, we, 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 we love that, and that's a great thing. But this is talking about eternity, debt-free. Let me close up with a story. I'm gonna have the worship team come up as I do this. But this is a story that happened just a few weeks ago. And it happened right out in front of the church. In fact, right at the front door of the church. And it wasn't on a church day, normal, where we're having service or anything. But um, we, I w- was here walking around. Somebody told me that there was somebody in a car that, was, that looked upset. And so I went over there and there was a, a man and a woman in the vehicle. And I leaned in and I said, um, you know, how are you guys doing? Is everything all right? And she had been crying and I could tell that she was crying and she said, I knew it was you. I knew it was the pastor, even with that mask on because I was wearing my mask. Even with that mask on, I could tell it was you. And I told him and she pointed over at this guy who was driving. She said, I told him to just get me to the front door of that church. So she showed up and she somehow talked this guy into driving her to the front door of the church. And uh, I saw Tom DeWitt was walking by and I motioned over to Tom and he joined us and they got out of the car and she began to describe all of these things that had been happening, really these oppressive thoughts, these, uh, you know, these things that were like closing in. They were really demonic attacks that were happening to this lady and, and she was troubled and, and she just said, I've got to get to the front door of that church. And so she did. She showed up. She got out. We started, we began to minister to them and to pray for her. She's right there. We're breaking generational curses, all of these things off of her life. She's there with her hands raised up, tears flowing down her face, shouting the name of Jesus just right there in the front, right in front of the church. And after all of that was over, she reaches into her pocket and she pulls out something. It was like a, a ball. It was about that big. And um, inside of it was some sort of galaxy looking thing. And she pulls it out and she shows it to me and she says, isn't that beautiful? And so I began to look at it and she says, I need to get rid of this. She said, if I throw this, do you think it'll break? I said, I don't know, but you can sure try. And so she chucked it across the parking lot. (laughs) And, uh, And I said, you know, there's some things like that where we allow the enemy into our life by things that by objects that we hold on to or by, by strongholds ultimately that we carry. And that was represented in whatever that, I don't know what it was, but for her, she knew. God was, God's spirit was moving on her in so much in that moment that she knew there was something that she had that she shouldn't have. And so she's like, I gotta get rid of this. I mean, the spirit of God was just moving on her so much. And, she's, I, and she said, well, is that true? I said, yeah, that's true. And so she's like, she gets in her car. She starts pulling all sorts of stuff out of her car, throws it on the ground. She's like, all this stuff has, is that. Somehow they had some sort of attachment for her. 
And she just threw it on the ground. She's like, I'm done with this. She pulls out a bottle of vodka, a bunch of cigarettes, throws them on the ground. And then she looks at me and she says, do I need to get rid of everything that the witches gave me? And I said, yes, everything. And she begins to take off bracelets and different things and throws them right there on the ground. And you can just see the freedom just come right off of her. And with tears of joy, she just like, this is unbelievable. And she just kept, this is unbelievable. I, I just can't. So we loaded her up with a bunch of food and loaded all this type of stuff and sent them on their way. And listen, I don't know if they're here today. I don't know if they're watching or if they're coming to any of our other services or what they're, I don't know the beginning of their story. I certainly don't know the end of the story. But I do know that God was working right there in the middle of the story. And that somehow they got to the front door of Journey Church. And somehow a coincidence happened <laughs> where I just happened to be walking by, which God doesn't, there's no coincidences of God, right? And so God had this setup for this lady who recognized that she was spiritually bankrupt without Jesus. And she was willing to empty everything and get rid of every other thing. And I'm telling you, like I say, I don't know the beginning, I don't know the end, but I know for a moment that lady saw the kingdom of God when she recognized that she was spiritually bankrupt without Jesus. And for a moment, she got rid of everything else. And she says, God, I've gotta have you. There's no other way. This is my last option. This is my last place to turn. And maybe some of us could learn from someone like that. Because the, the, the tragedy is the longer you start following Jesus, the less you, the, the more you think you know and the less we start to learn. But yet there was a purity in that moment with that woman who in a moment saw the, the purity of the kingdom of God. And maybe some of us need to go back to a moment like that in our life and remember when we gave everything to God. You know, I like the way that somebody said it, that for those who put their trust in and their hope in this world, this world systems, this what, whatever the world has to offer, however the world works, for those of us who put our trust in those things, this is as close to heaven as we're ever going to experience. You've already experienced your reward. This is it. You keep striving, you keep trying to work, you keep trying to do all of that. To, this is as close to heaven as you're ever gonna get. You've received your reward. But for those of us who put our faith and our hope in Jesus above it all, like that song that Pastor Aaron wrote, Jesus above it all, for those of us who really do that, okay? Like, I mean, we do it not just on paper, but we do it in our life. We do it not just on paper. We, don't, we, we do it in our life. We really put Jesus above it all. This right here is as close to hell as we will ever experience. Because everything from here on up, out is up. That's what it means to be poor in spirit when you recognize that on my own I have spiritual poverty, but in Christ I have all the riches that come through the inheritance of Jesus Christ. Would you guys stand up with me? Could we take a moment? Because I feel like maybe some of us need to address and respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you need to close your eyes for just a moment and ask yourself, is there any, are there any idols in my life? I, would, I certainly wouldn't have called them idols, but maybe now I've realized that there's something that I've been holding on to I need to let go of. Is there anything in my life that I need to throw down on the ground 
that I need to empty out my car, that I need to let go of so that as I enter into this new season, I can fully step into and experience the kingdom of heaven to its fullest. Lord, that's what we want. We want to lean into you, lean into the new. So Lord, I pray for many people to be set free, to be walking free. Lord, we want to we want to experience the blessing, the happiness that comes from God, the happiness that comes from journeying with Jesus. So Lord, we give it all to you. We lay it all down. We say it's all yours. We say it's all yours.